Bibles, then there is one. You can click the little Bible tab to access uh, our text for today. Well, there's a psychiatrist whose name is Gerald May, and he said this in a book all about addiction and God's grace. He said, I am convinced that all human beings have an inborn desire for God. I'm convinced that all human beings have an inborn desire for God. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? That all human beings have an inborn desire for God. Now, it probably won't surprise me if I tell you that Gerald May is a Christian. But it seems to me as I've journeyed with people that he's probably right. There's another very clever person called Professor Jane Sidling. And she's been doing some research into the impact of coronavirus on spirituality. And she's discovered some really interesting things. She's discovered there's a massive rise in people's interest in prayer. Google are reporting that searches for the word prayer have absolutely skyrocketed during the month of 2020 when the COVID-19 virus went global. She says this, the rise in prayer intensity supersedes what the world has seen for years and this may likely continue as the crisis worsens. Well, maybe you've found yourself seeking harder after the things of God in recent days. Perhaps you have friends or or family members who suddenly have become interested in the things of God and for the first time in these strange days, they find themselves asking you questions about your faith and your walk. Or maybe even this morning, you're joining us here on our online platform for the first time because something is stirring within you. You can't necessarily explain what that is, but there's a stirring going on because our world crisis has opened up your heart to the things of God. And if that describes you this morning, we're just so pleased that you're joining us here online. It was Blaise Pascal, of course, who originated the idea that everyone has within them a God-shaped hole which can only be filled by God himself. Now, that's not actually what Pascal said, but it was words to that effect. He was saying, until that God-shaped hole is filled with God, then we'll be forever left wanting. In our psalm today, in Psalm 63, we get to peer deep into the heart of the psalmist David as he's praying with an intensity which, if I'm really honest, I rarely experience in my own life, but would love to experience more. Let's listen into the opening few verses of this amazing psalm. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being, it longs for you. In a dry and a parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Well, the relationship between David, the author of this psalm, and God is clearly intimate, isn't it? He proves it in the way he prays. Verse 1, my soul longs for you. Verse 3, your love, God, is better than life. Verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live. Here's a man who is desperate to know God, but also be known by God with greater depth and greater intimacy. 
So here's the question that I've got in my mind. It's this, was it normal for David to relate to God in this way or does he find himself in exceptional circumstances, which is why he's being quite so intense? Well, if you look at the title of the psalm, at least as it says it in my Bible, there's a clue as to why and when David is praying this prayer. In my Bible, it says a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Now, if you know the context, you'll know that it's now later in David's life and he's been forced to flee from his son Absalom, who's taken siege of Jerusalem. David's relationship with Absalom is thoroughly broken down and Absalom's only goal in life was to see his father deposed as king. Now, I would suggest that's not a very good foundation for a father-son relationship. David finds himself no longer in the safety of Jerusalem and he's out in the desert, quite literally running for his life. And as David looks around him, the only thing he can see is a parched and a weary land. He says he's in need of water, but actually this is a picture of his soul as well. He's desperately in need of God. It's safe to say that David finds himself in a hopeless place. He's both literally and metaphorically in the desert. But also David recognizes that God is the only one who's able to satisfy his needs. Not as a far off abstract entity type God, but as a close up intimately loving heavenly father. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself in such a desperate place, or we might call it the, the desert place. Or maybe even you find yourself in just that kind of place today. Maybe even now you can identify with David's description of being in a dry and a weary and a tough place that's offering no comfort. Maybe today you know that sense of feeling desperate to know God's touch on your life. Well, through the words of David this morning, God, I believe, would have us know that the journey doesn't need to end in that place because it is possible, just like David, even when we're in the desert place, in the place of isolation, we might say today, to continue to praise God and to trust him to meet our deepest need. I really love the way that the message version of the Bible puts these opening few phrases. It says this, God you're my God. I can't get enough of you. Wow, what a great statement. I can't get enough of you. It goes on to say, I've worked up such a hunger and a thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary deserts. So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and your glory. In your generous love, I really am living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every single time I take a breath and my arms wave like banners of praise to you. Through this psalm, David gives us at least two reasons why he has such an intense longing for God. Two reasons why he continues to seek after God um, in a place of intimacy and a desire for intimacy, even when his life is in a rubbish place. He gives us reasons, hopefully, that will encourage us in our longing for God, even in difficult times, which we might be experiencing right now. So why is David seeking after God so earnestly? Well, verse 2 tells us that he has already, in the past tense, experienced God, long before he finds himself in the present tense, desert place. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. Now, it seems to me that verse 2 is absolutely key to us understanding how best to cope with present and with future circumstances um, without giving up on God. 
If I've previously experienced intimacy with God in the past, then I'm more likely to continue knowing that intimacy in the present and on into the future, especially when times are tough. Think about David for a moment. David has already experienced God's faithfulness. David at this point has already experienced God's forgiveness in his life. David has already experienced the joy of being in God's presence as the ark was returned to Jerusalem. David has already seen God's power um, uh, and he's already praised God during his happier days. You say David had realized something and it was this, that God wasn't just the God of his good times past, but God was still worthy of praise even in the tough times, even in the desert place, both literally and metaphorically. And as he worshipped God, we see that his thirsting soul became quenched. What I love about David is that when he finds himself in that tough place, he doesn't give up on God. Instead, we find him longing for even more of what he's already experienced in his better past. In fact, what we see from this psalm is that his circumstances, tough as they are, simply heighten his need for God. Rather than giving up on God, instead he gives up praise to God. And I wonder for you, I wonder for me, how about us? When times get tough, do we abandon God or do we continue to trust him just the the same? When tough times come, are we able to look back and say like David, you know what God, you've been the, the loving and good God of my past and therefore I have every reason to worship you in the here and now because you're that same God in the present but also on into my future. The second reason that this psalm tells us that David was desperate to meet with God in the desert is because verse 3, he knew that God is better than life. David is utterly convinced that to know God and to be in communion with God is better and in fact it's even more pressure than living life itself. So a question for us, why does David come to this conclusion? Because again, he's previously experienced the love and the forgiveness of God in his own life. If you remember David's story, David's messed up on more than a few occasions. He's committed adultery and he's already murdered somebody. So obviously failing at least two out of the Ten Commandments is not a great record, is it? But every time that David fell, David found that God was right there to pick him up again. Every single time he stumbled, he found that God's love and God's grace was greater than his failings. Every time David slipped up, he discovered a God who was willing to forgive even the most serious of faults. Every time David mucked up, the arms of God were still wide open for him. And I wonder if this morning, like David, if you know that love which is better than life, that love that can give us eternal hope. You know, it's in knowing that kind of love, a love which we can be totally confident that God is not going to abandon us in the desert and he's not going to forget those promises that he's made to us to rescue us. It's that kind of love that enables us to enter even more deeply into a relationship, an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. As David pens this psalm in Psalm 63, he doesn't fall into the trap of cynicism and negativity because he finds himself in a tough place. And as I reflect on my own life, and maybe you want to do this over your own, I wonder if you conclude the same. What a shame. Oh dear, how quickly I sometimes find myself going to that place of negativity and cynicism. But for David, nothing else, not water, a comfy bed, revenge on his enemies, all the things that maybe I might have been thinking of in this moment, 
He knew that none of those things were going to revive his soul. None of those things really mattered to David because none of those things ultimately would satisfy. Because David has discovered in his life that only God can fill and enrich our souls. When I find myself in a difficult place, more often than not, my first thought is, how can I get out of this? When David finds himself in this tough place, his first question is not, how can I get out of this, but how can I bring God into this situation? So as we face metaphorical droughts and weariness and and deserts and desperate moments, isolation because of coronavirus, how can we make David's experience our reality? Well, I've got four really quick things, and I've already spoken about the first one. All that I've just said about is captured under the heading of recall God's faithfulness yesterday. Recall your past. Remind yourself of how you've seen God to be faithful in your past. Knowing God intimately in better times will give you all the scaffolding and the the support that you need to hang on to him and to sustain your intimacy during tougher times. The second thing is this, is we need to get intimate with God today. David declares to, to God that God is my God in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God, he says. David knew God in an intimate, personal way. And those words, my God, are probably the most important words to notice here in this psalm. There's a vast difference, isn't there, between knowing about a person and actually knowing that person. If you wanted to, you could learn an awful lot about Boris Johnson. He's on our televisions every single day. You can read news articles about his life and uh, you can read his journal. You can find out all about his personality and his personal habits and his family life. But none of that is the same as knowing him personally. To really know Boris Johnson as prime minister, it would require an introduction and then time to meet with him and spend hours in his company over a long period of time in many different situations. And in a sense, that's how it should be with God. Not only yesterday, although that will help, and not by just saying, do you know what, I'll get to know you in the future, God, when I've got more time. But if you really want to know the kind of intimacy that David knew, then you need to pursue him today. Jesus said, didn't he, in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom I have sent, whom you have sent. You see, your introduction to God comes when you turn from your sin to God and when you choose to trust in Jesus Christ and his death on your behalf. And I want to encourage us today, don't delay till tomorrow or even rely on that commitment from the past, but pursue Jesus wholeheartedly today. That's how we find ourselves in greater intimacy with God. God gives us eternal life as a free gift, but then having accepted that gift, we must then nurture and develop that relationship by spending time with our new friend. Thirdly, we see here that we should also desire more of God tomorrow. David has said, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, it longs for you. So David, as we've just seen, calls God my God, but then he doesn't fall into that trap I've just spoken about by stopping there. What we see is that David wanted more. David wanted to go deeper than just that initial acquaintance with God. He says in verse, five, in verse 5 that he was satisfied, but he wasn't really satisfied. David knew that there was more. 
because his whole being was craving more of God, like a thirsty man craves water in the desert. The word that's translated here that David uses, seek earnestly, is the same word that's used to speak of wild donkeys eagerly looking for food. Now, if ever you've been into the New Forest and watched hungry donkeys, you'll know what this looks like. There's a kind of determined and a desperate look on their faces. And, this, the, and the point is this, is to seek after God means to go after God with an intense, determined and a, a desperate desire. I wonder how much you desire to know God. A.W. Tozer in his devotional classic called The Pursuit of God said this. He said, come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God." They mourned for him, they prayed, they wrestled, and they sought for him day and night, in season and out of season. And when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. And then he finishes saying, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. You see, to seek after God means that there's always more because God is an infinite person. If in your Christian walk you ever arrive in that place where you think you've reached a satisfactory level of maturity, a place where you can think you can just put your feet up and cruise cruise along, then you're in serious trouble. Far from going forwards with God, actually you'll find yourself going backwards in your relationship with him. Here we find David, a man who's walked with God for years. David has known God personally and passionately, and yet here he is still seeking and thirsting after greater intimacy with God. And then fourthly, there's a challenge for us to experience God constantly. You know, the fact is it's very easy for us, isn't it, to fill our lives up with things other than God. Those things may even be good things, but they're not God's. And as David discovered, God alone is the only one who can satisfy the thirst in our souls. In verses 6 to 8, David makes a declaration which, in a sense, is an invitation to experience God constantly. Let me read these verses to you again. He says, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Well, if you go on to read verses 9, 10 through to 11, you'll start to discover what a life that does not constantly experience God looks like. That kind of a life finds itself in a deep and a dark and a difficult place. So I wonder, what does a life constantly experiencing God look like? Well, perhaps several things. If you're wanting to experience God constantly, then you'll make God the very center of your relationship. That old uh, line about WWJD, what would Jesus do? That will be your constant question. How can I please Jesus in the way I'm living my life? Maybe too, you'll be wanting to spend consistent and constant time with him. You'll invest in prayer. You'll invest in spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible and meeting with other believers. But two, God will just be integrated into every aspect of your life. Maybe you've done what I've done a few times in my life where I've kind of said to God, God, you can have this 90% of my life, but this 10%, this is for me and I don't want you to be interested in this. There's a challenge to integrate God into everything, to make him accessible to 100% of our lives. So as I draw to a close, let me leave a question with you. And the question's this. How is it this morning between you and God? Can you say, like David, that your soul is thirsting after him? 
Can you say like David that you're satisfied, but you're not satisfied because there's still more of God yet to know? Maybe just for a moment, review your past week, your past month, and ask yourself, did my calendar, did my rhythm of life reflect that seeking God was my number one priority? I have a sense this morning that the Holy Spirit would say to us through these words penned by David that seeking God is essential. And once you've found him, deepen that intimacy and your walk with him. Verse 8 is just beautiful. It says, I cling to you. Sometimes we do that by our fingertips. But this verse also says that your right hand upholds me. We're grasped by the right hand of God, the, the hand that holds us with security that simply won't let us go, even when sometimes we're clinging on by our fingertips. And Lord, we want to say to you this morning that we cling to you. We'd love to grasp hold of you. But Lord, sometimes we cling to you. But Lord, thank you that your right hand holds us safe and secure, that we're grasped by the hand of God. Church, we have a good, good father.